I will keep fighting to bring peace to humans and robots. This is Mega Bluster, a guileless gamer podcast. I'm Stefan, and this is part six of our very, very long investigation of the Mega Man franchise. This time around, Mega Man, Dr. Wily's Revenge, released in Japan as Rockman World in July 1991, and in the United States in December 1991 for the Nintendo Game Boy. The transformation of Mega Man from game to series to intellectual property happened within four years. From 1987's Mega Man to 1990's Mega Man 3, Capcom's new mascot experienced a succession of iterative changes that transformed it from a high-potential prototype into a polished example of 8-bit excellence. During this period, the character made regular appearances on Nintendo's propaganda series, Captain N, the Game Master. Although his design was decidedly off-model, he was green instead of blue, he had a proto-man-like visor, and he spoke like this! He also appeared in Steven Rosner's Mega Man for DOS, an actual game, or something resembling one, that both brought the character to a new platform and put him in the hands of someone other than Capcom's internal development team. It's clear that the company was ready to find new channels through which to promote their hit character, but with their internal grasp of 16-bit hardware still shaky, and with promotional and business development efforts suddenly laser-focused on a group of world warriors who had proven shockingly adept at shaking quarters out of pockets, a simple leap to the Super Nintendo was out of the question. Continuing to grow the brand meant finding new and inexpensive ways to reach audiences, and for a series that had found its footing on Nintendo's 8-bit home console, it wasn't too much of a leap to try to find that audience on Nintendo's 8-bit portable console, the Game Boy. Mega Man Dr. Wily's Revenge, or Rockman World as it was known in Japan, takes the Mega Man formula and compresses it into a 160 by 144 pixel frame. Released in Japan on July 26, 1991, the game plays as something of a greatest hits tape, cribbing stage selections and robot masters from Mega Man and Mega Man 2, but offering them up in a handy portable package that could be tackled in chunks from the backseat of the family sedan. It's a game that at a glance could be dismissed as a cash-in, but there's enough here that both points to the future of the franchise and illuminates some of its fundamental truths that it's worth examining. Mega Man, Dr. Wily's Revenge, and I am going to keep saying it like that, marks a milestone in the series' history by being the first real Mega Man game to not be developed at Capcom. Instead, development duties were handled by a contractor called Minakuchi Engineering, a now-defunct development house that seemed to specialize in conversions. The company's relationship with Capcom appears to have been sturdy, as many of the games that credit Minakuchi for development were ports or remakes of Capcom properties, including six Mega Man games, Bionic Commando for the Game Boy, 
and Magic Sword and Knights of the Round for the Super Nintendo. Unlike with Mega Man for DOS, Capcom exercised some degree of control over Minakuchi during development, with Keiji Inafune stating that the team understood Mega Man well. Inafune actively collaborated with the team and touched up much of his old artwork for this production. He also took the opportunity to introduce an original character for the game, the first of Wily's Mega Man Killers, named Inker, who we will return to in a bit. Narratively, the game introduces one of the series' proudest and longest-running traditions, the alt-platform rehash. It justifies the reappearance of eight old robot masters, Iceman, Elecman, Cupman, Fireman, Quickman, Heatman, Bubbleman, and Flashman, by stating that after Dr. Wily's earlier defeats, he dusted himself off and decided to try again. I've got a better idea. A better idea. Oh no, it's the same idea. The same idea. This establishes a pattern that will repeat on the Game Gear, the Genesis, the Game Boy, and ultimately on mobile devices up to the present day. Now, there's no shame in reusing assets or getting the most out of concepts that your team's already created. One of my favorite gaming series, besides Mega Man, of course, is the ongoing Like a Dragon series, uh, also known as Yakuza that Sega produces. And that series is a masterclass in asset reusal. But there's a fine line between efficiency and repetition. And this entry in the Mega Man franchise, and many others that we'll explore, don't always walk that line well for reasons both conceptual and technical. This game suffers from an issue common in Game Boy conversions of NES titles. The sprites are just too darn big for the screen. Now, without going too deep down the resolution rabbit hole, it's worth understanding what that means in practical terms. The standard display resolution of the Nintendo Entertainment System was 256 pixels by 240 pixels, or 240p. The display resolution of the Game Boy's LCD matrix, by contrast, was 160 pixels by 144 pixels. That's a 62% reduction in available screen real estate. And developers often dealt with this reduction in one of two ways. Either they reduced the size of the player sprite to maintain the rough proportions of the screen at the expense of visual fidelity. Think of the tiny Mario sprite in Super Mario, for example, that. Or they maintain large, highly detailed sprites at the expense of creating a cramped screen with a limited field of view. Mega Man, Dr. Wily's Revenge, falls firmly into the latter category, as does every Mega Man game that Capcom would release for the Game Boy. I don't hold this decision against Capcom. A significant part of Mega Man's popularity was the character's visual charisma, Additionally, Mega Man at this point placed little emphasis on speed. It was about tactical moment-to-moment decision-making in discrete situations. And that meant that the scrolling demands it would place on the Game Boy's pitiful little screen were minimal. And the impact on that moment-to-moment gameplay was not tremendous. The exception, however, is in boss battles. Uh, Fights with Robot Masters in Mega Man, Dr. Wily's Revenge, feel horribly unbalanced. 
there is simply not enough room to maneuver in the boss arenas, meaning that even if you learn the patterns that they will execute, avoiding the bosses becomes a tedious exercise, best left to those possessing deep reservoirs of patience or access to save states. I have access to save states. Mega Man, Dr. Wily's Revenge, doesn't exclusively play the hits, though. There are some changes made to accommodate the shift in gameplay context. While there are still eight Robot Masters, they've actually been split into two groups. The first group, uh, Cutman, Iceman, Electman, and Fireman, uh, all hail from the first game in the Mega Man series, while the second, Quickman, Heatman, Bubbleman, and Flashman, come from Mega Man 2. The second group is not chosen from the uh, stage select screen. Rather, it's encountered during the home stretch of the game when the player is invading Dr. Wily's castle and arrives at the traditional teleporting hatches. Now, we haven't talked about this in previous episodes, but there's a convention in these Mega Man games where while storming Dr. Wily's castle, the player arrives at a room full of teleporters. The player enters these teleporters one at a time and faces off against previously defeated bosses once again. It's a boss rush. You're set up to believe that's what you're getting into this time, but instead of facing the bosses you've already beaten in this game, you face bosses you've probably, maybe, already beaten in another game. It's a cute surprise, and it forces the player to consider new approaches to cracking the correct boss order at late stages in the game. Uh, as the weapons you've collected in the initial four boss battles don't obviously match up to the second set of bosses. You can't just reuse the same old strategies. That's interesting. Also interesting is Inker, an original character designed as a final obstacle for Mega Man before his confrontation with Dr. Wily. The naming convention of Mega Man games, at least at this time, leaned heavily on musical styles. Uh, Mega Man in Japan is Rock Man. His sister is Roll, so together they're Rock and Roll. Uh, his brother is Proto Man. Uh, a.k.a. Blues. Rock, Roll, and Blues. His dog is Rush, because apparently someone at Capcom really liked Rush. 2112, man. Inker is a mutation of the word Inka. Inka is a Japanese musical genre. Um, spelled E-N-K-A. Uh, that usually takes the form of like a really sentimental schmaltzy ballad. Um, very popular uh, in the post-war period, but it, it's kind of gone out of style at this point. Inker is named after Enka, and Inker is also not much more than a sprite without a whole lot of backstory. Um, ostensibly, Dr. Wily created him to be the perfect Mega Man killing machine, He'll do that a lot, and uh, as far as we know, uh, hasn't really nailed the formula yet. What makes Inker interesting in the context of the series is that he is the first of that kind of character. He's the first in a series of characters 
that are proper rivals to Mega Man outside of the standard Robot Master. Uh, that's excluding Proto Man and his, at this point, morally ambiguous agenda. Subsequent Mega Man games on the Game Boy would each introduce new characters in this mold until Mega Man 5 brought them all together for a grand finale. And when we look forward and we see the character of Base appear in Mega Man 7, that's another entry in this line. Anchor is not noteworthy in and of himself, but he points to a future where Mega Man would lean further into the Japanese adventure show tropes that had already taken root in the series. I think Akira Kitamura would have been proud. Now, between the reuse of assets, the filler episode narrative, and the relatively thoughtless way that characters and environments have been crammed into a smaller screen, Mega Man, Dr. Wily's Revenge, gives the impression of a quickly produced, inexpensive game designed to provide a buffer for Mega Man fans between the release of Mega Man 3 and Mega Man 4 in addition to a low-risk way of expanding the character to a popular new platform. Now, all of that's probably true, but it should not be taken as an indictment of the game's quality in the context of its release. As I played it, I could not help but imagine what it might have been like to encounter the game as it came out in 1991. And my conclusion was... This was Mega Man in the palm of my hands. Uh, this wasn't a knockoff. It's not a spinoff. It's not a derivative form. It's Mega Man proper. It's not Castlevania the Adventure, where the game itself was lost in the conversion. There, there is quality and craft visible here, and you feel it when you play. Whatever confluence of disparate components come together to answer the question, what makes Mega Man Mega Man? They're here in Mega Man, Dr. Wily's Revenge. Mega Man can be Mega Man without an expansive screen, without new and surprising robot masters, even without color. As for what Mega Man can't be Mega Man without, well, we'll answer that question as we dig deeper into our investigation. For now, though, it's enough to know that Mega Man can maintain its essence, even when shrunken down to fit into the palm of our hand. Or into the palms of two hands. The original Game Boy was not pocket-sized. For now, though, it's enough to know that Mega Man can maintain its identity, even in a shrunken-down form. And a decade after the release of Mega Man, Dr. Wily's Revenge, this adaptability would become key to the franchise's survival. Thanks for listening to Part 6 of Mega Buster, our very, very long investigation of the Mega Man franchise. Music for this episode was sourced from ocremix.org in compliance with that site's content policy. You can find credits and links to the original pieces in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. And if you didn't, I am working to make these better. I promise. If you have any feedback you'd like to provide, or if I missed something, you can reach out to me at clay at guilelessgamer.com. 
This and other social links are also in the show notes. How long will I keep on fighting? How long will my pain last? Maybe only the X-Buster on my hand knows for sure. Thank you.